Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. And uh, we'll go ahead and stand for the reading of the Word of God if you're able to. Verse number 15 is where we're going to pick up in our text. Actually, let's start on verse number 14. And uh, we'll read a few verses here and get into the message, all right? Verse number 14, And Laban said unto him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had to her. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be able to proclaim your word. Lord, I'm unworthy of this opportunity, and I'm thankful, Lord, for your goodness to us, and Lord, your mercy and your grace in our lives, and I pray that you would bless this service, bless this message, Lord, touch our lips, and help us, Lord, to say those things that need to be said, and Lord, to not say those things that do not need to be said, and Lord, just guard our lips, and Lord, help the hearer speak to our hearts, and for everything you do, Lord, we'll thank you for it in Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Tonight I want to preach on the subject of the key to serving with joy. I'm going to kind of give a little bit of a different uh, swing on the text uh, than probably what, what you've heard in the past. I'm not trying to preach something different or something new. That's not what I'm after. But just reading this text of back a couple months ago, I was studying uh, to preach out a couple weeks ago, and and Lord just really spoke to me through this passage of Scripture concerning serving the Lord with joy. And I tell you, there's no greater joy than to serve the Lord. And there's no greater joy than to serve to the Lord. And you don't need to be in full-time ministry to experience the joy of serving the Lord. Just being able to go to the job site and be able to proclaim Jesus through your everyday life is a blessing within itself. And we have a lot to be thankful for. But it, just to bring you up to speed on what's going on in Genesis chapter 29, uh, we know what took place when Abraham sent his servant up to, find, to Haran to find a wife for Isaac, his son, and he sent him up there and he took jewels and he took precious raiment and different things along with him. And uh, there he found Rebekah. And uh, we know what took place there, how Laban uh, was definitely intrigued based on the scripture by all the jewels and the riches and the wealth that he had. And we actually see later on in the passage in uh, verse number 27 of chapter 30 that Laban said unto him, I pray thee if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. And so Laban, the only reason why he wanted anything to do with the Abrahamic line or the covenant was because of the goodies that came along with it. And uh, so we see that he was really intrigued and wanted the servant to hang around and spend a little bit more time with them, not because he wanted his presence, but because he liked his riches and he liked all the things that came along with it. But uh, it's important for us to understand that uh, after some time had, take, had taken place, we know that Jacob and Esau were born and that Jacob had deceived Esau and uh, into selling his 
birthright. And now Jacob is on the run, fleeing for his life from Esau. And now we see him in the same place of Haran that Abraham had sent the servant to find a bride for Isaac. And now he ends up running into Laban, uh, the kin, uh, the kin or his mother's uh, brother or his uncle Laban. And uh, we see that he he sees Rachel, and uh, not only does he see her, but he falls in love with her at first sight. It was definitely a love at first sight situation. And uh, he loved her so much that he decided that he would abode for a while, as we see in verse number 14, that Laban said unto him, Surely thou art bone of my bone, uh, thou art my bone and my flesh, and he abode with him for the space of a month. And then the Bible says, Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me what shall thy wages be? And so we see that he abode with him for a space of a month, according to Scripture, having not paid anything. Having not paid him anything for his work and for his labor. And after a little bit of time passed by, I don't know if it was guilt or what it was, but Laban saw need. He says, I should at least pay you for your effort and for your work. And so what shall thy wages be? And so the Bible says that Laban had two daughters, and the name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. If you know your Bible, you'll know that uh, something bad had taken place, that Laban had deceived, uh, had, uh, had deceived Jacob by giving him to wife uh, Leah rather than Rachel. But I don't want to go that far down into the passage. I just want to assume that Jacob had served Laban for Rachel for seven years and let's just assume that he had received her as wife. Now I know that he had served for another seven years and that at that point he had received Rachel. Uh, there was an eye for an eye. Uh, there was a uh, reap what you sow situation that took place here in Jacob's life. But Jacob in this point in time in the passage of scripture that we have read, as far as he's concerned, is serving seven years for Rachel. He didn't want Leah, he wanted Rachel. And he served seven years. And we know, according to Scripture, that the number seven is the number of completion. So I would like to assume that this seven-year period is the completion of an individual's life in the service of the Lord. And so we see that the, that the call to salvation is a call to service. And that God did not save you to sit on a church pew and warm the bench. He called you to, for salvation to be a witness and a light in the kingdom. And uh, it's important that you understand that we're to be the light of, of the world and the salt of the earth. And that if we fail to do that, that we're failing to do what God has commanded us to do. If we're failing to tell others about Christ, not just verbally, but through our lives then we're failing to do what God has called us to do. We see that uh, the goodness of God hath led us to repentance. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2, the Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we know that according to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2, that that's not telling us that we're to look at the, at the, at the Spirit or to focus on the Spirit, but to be filled with the Spirit in order to be able to see Jesus. And if we're constantly trying to focus on Him with our eyes, then we'll miss the point. But to be filled with the Spirit gives us the ability to be able to look upon and to be able to focus on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, or the beginning and the end. The one who is designed, the chief designer of our faith, 
who has designed our faith in order for us to be able to live our lives according to his will. And uh, so seeing that the goodness of God has led us to repentance gives us a motivation for service. The first thing that I want to look at this evening concerning a motivation for service is first of all the example of Christ and his love toward us. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, we see that we love him because he first loved us. In John chapter 13 and verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful tonight that we serve a God who sets a standard, who has set an example before us that we're able to live after. I don't know how people serve these dead gods that, that has never set an example of how to serve and how to live for Him. I can't understand that. But Jesus enrobed Himself in flesh and He became man and lived out an example of how we as Christians can live through the fulfilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What a blessing it is. And we talk about how complicated the Christian life is. If we would read our Bibles, we would find that the Christian life is not that complicated. Because Jesus has set before us an example, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Not only do we see the example of His love, but we see the eternality of His love. Jeremiah 31 and verse number 3 states that the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So the eternality of his love is dealing with the everlasting love that is mentioned in Jeremiah 31 and verse number 3. I have loved you deals with the past, and an everlasting love deals with the present and the future. And it's because of the everlasting love that Jesus has showed us that we're able to experience everlasting life. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 38 through 39 states, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is not anything present that we're able to see or not see that has the ability to separate us from the love of God. And if you don't believe me, then you need to read about how God delivered the children of Israel out of, out of bondage and how time after time they had turned to false idols and to false idol worship and that God time and time again loved them and preserved them because of the promise that he had given them that he would never leave them nor forsake them and because of the Old Testament we can see an example of the eternality of the love that he had to them because of the covenant that he had made which is the same covenant that he has given the church not thankful for that, the eternality of his love. But not only do we see that, but thirdly, the extent of his love. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You ask how far does the love of God extend? It extends from depth to breadth from height to all the depths of the earth. And uh, the psalmist even stated uh, that if I made my bed in hell, thou art with me. John chapter 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Christ set before us the ultimate example of an extended love, even the love that is, that, that is a love of death. That he would die for the sins of the world. Even those who would reject him, ultimately. It wasn't just those who would receive him, but those that would reject him as well. He didn't die for a select few. He didn't die for the church. He died for the world. The, the payment of sin has been made. 
All you have to do is accept that. How simple is that? If you accept and receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He's made it extremely easy. We're the ones that's made it difficult. But greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That was the words of Jesus himself. And he didn't just say it, but he proved it by laying his life down for his friends. I'm glad he considered me a friend. Amen. John 3.16, we all know that. For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. That's a agape love. That's that, that's that, uh, that, that greatest of love. That you don't just say, I love you, but you're willing to give something precious to prove your love. Yes. And not just some materialistic thing, but your own life. Yes. Yes. Right. What great love. That's the kind of love that expects nothing in return. The extent of his love, fourthly, we see the essence of his love. 1 John 4 and verse 16, and we know, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, that God is love. Not just that his love is extended, not just that his love is eternal, not just that it's uh, that it's uh, everlasting love, but it's uh, the fact that he is love and he has no ability to be anything other than love. And so he has no ability to, to, to not love you because he is love. What a blessing, the essence of his love. But uh, having seen the example and, the, and how great the love that Christ has toward us gives us the motivation to be able to serve the Lord with a pure heart and with joy. Amen. So first of all, in the text we see in verse number 18, the Bible states that Jacob loved Rachel. We see, number one, the passion that motivated. If you love someone enough or you love something enough, you don't have a problem working for that. You don't have a problem waiting on that. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10 calls it a labor of love. Uh, So we see that the passion motivated Jacob to serve for Rachel. Not only did his passion motivate, but second, we see that the proposal was made. In the last part of verse number 18, the Bible says, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Laban was not the one that set the timeline. Jacob set the timeline. And you may ask, well, if, if Laban left the choice to Jacob, why didn't he say, I'll serve you for a month? Or why didn't he say, I'll serve you for a, for a year? And, uh, you know, because I'd like to go ahead and have her for my wife, if you don't mind. I tell you, when me and my wife, when we got engaged, those next four months seemed like four years. It's a long time. When you really love someone, you desire to be with that person, to be able to, but, but nevertheless, he served and he was faithful to do what he had set out to do. And in the days of Jacob, it was custom for a man to give gifts to buy his bride. And Jacob, however, had nothing to offer according to verse 14 and 15 because the Bible says, Laban said unto him, Surely thou art bone of my flesh, and he abode with him for a space of a month. And Laban said to Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou serve me therefore for naught? Tell me what thy wages shall be. So he'd been serving for a month and was receiving nothing. Maybe just food and a place to live. And so he had no precious gifts or no grand things to offer. But Jacob had been working for Laban for the space of a month and apparently was working to maintain, and Jacob was offered wages for his serving, and Jacob offered to serve seven years for Rachel. And Jacob had nothing to offer Rachel but himself. 
And what that tells me this, this evening is that you can offer your jewels and your bank account and all the goodies of life that you may have, but if you're not willing to offer yourself Amen. on the sacrifice of the altar, then you're not going to get anything. Right. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1 states that I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And you say, well, that's a tall order. But I think it's a blessing that God will want anything to do with us. That he would, he would ask and say it would just be a reasonable thing for you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And yet that seems to be such a difficult thing to do. I'm glad that he didn't say that you need to serve me for the space of a few years or that you need to do enough good on a daily basis in order to find satisfaction with me. Because if he did, every one of us would come up short every day of our lives. There's a lot of people that believes that you have to work to maintain salvation. And those people are miserable and they're tormented on a daily basis, constantly trying to find ways to find satisfaction in the eyes of God. But your works are as filthy rags and they never work. They will never work. The cross of Christ would be in vain if you could do anything to earn your way to heaven. But Jacob had nothing to offer, so he says, I'll offer myself for a space of seven years. And that was Jacob's offer. Well, we see not only was the passion motivated, but the proposal was made, and thirdly, the price was meaningful. Verse number 20 states that Rachel, or that Jacob served seven years for Rachel. But at the end of the, of the verse, it says, They seemed unto him but for a few days... For the love that he had to her. When you think about the price that Jesus paid on the cross, it makes the troubles and afflictions of this life seem so little. As a matter of fact, Paul stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. These light afflictions. So these things that we consider to be such a big deal... And uh, something big happens in our life. We start blaming God and saying that God doesn't love us and that He doesn't care for us. And I had a guy one time contact me and he was crying on the other end of the phone uh, because his, his dad's barn had burnt to the ground. He's like, he was just screaming, why would God do this? Why would God let this happen to my dad? He did nothing to hurt anybody and he couldn't understand and I couldn't explain to him, what do you say to an individual in a situation like that? There's not a whole lot that you can say. But we all have the tendency to do that. To just try to blame God when bad things happen in our lives. But oftentimes I think about Job and the life of Job. And we had mentioned this earlier in, in, in the academy that, that if you miss the point of the book of Job, the book of Job, it wasn't written to see how, Je how Job st stayed steadfast to Christ and, and through, through his afflictions, but it's to prove that God is faithful even in the lowest of times. That's what the book of Job is for. And if you miss that, you're missing the point of the book of Job. That God proved himself faithful in the life of Job. That even when it seemed like everything was falling apart and they had no Bible, so they simply said, Job, you're obviously doing something wrong. What are you doing that is causing this judgment to come upon your life? But Job just simply said, all I can do is trust him. And that's all you can do sometimes is just simply trust. When you can't see in front of you, just trust God and his promises and that will be enough. But they seemed in him, but for a few short days, and this isn't meaning that, that, those, that, that it was just a fly-by thing. 
Like I said, when you're really working hard and you're trying to, to earn something or you're working hard for something because you really want something. When I put in an order for something and it says tracking, three days, it, those three days seem like forever. And I'm constantly, if it's one day over, I'm calling, I'm like, hey, where's my package? You know, it's just, I, I, maybe it's a patience thing on my end, but I just, I don't like waiting on things. Amen. The price was meaningful. This simply means that the price of Rachel was far greater than seven years of service. It says they seemed to him, but for a few short days. So what it tells me is that when you consider the one that we are serving and the one that we are living for, it sure does make it not seem so hard. You see, Jacob was not serving Laban to get something out of Laban. The Bible says in verse number 20 that Jacob served for Rachel. But he was serving Laban in order to get Rachel. And so it's important that you understand that whatever it is that your ministry is, you say, well, I don't have a ministry. If it's your job, if it's your position, regardless of what it is in your life, that is your Laban. And you're serving Laban for Rachel. And it's... It was a good day in my life when I realized that the ministry that God has put me in is my Laban, but it's not Laban that I'm serving. I am serving for a greater cause. And when we miss the greater cause, we get weary and we get well-doing and we become bitter. And a lot of people drop out of the ministry and they quit on God because they lost sight of Rachel. What are you serving for this evening? And you get so bound up and focused on the temporal things. They're so demanding on the job site. They, they constantly ask more of me than what I'm able to give. They constantly rag me and drag me down. And I should be getting paid more. And that's oftentimes our mentality. But we get bitter and we get frustrated, we get mad, and we forget about the fact that God has put us there to be a witness, to be a light. God didn't put you at your workplace to earn money. You need it. But whoever you're working next to, that is your mission field. God has allowed me the privilege and the opportunity to be able to run the Bible Baptist Academy. That is my Laban. And it's easy sometimes when you come in just to say, you know what, what's the point? But sometimes you graduate a few and you see them go on for God. That's a really, really good reward. Amen. And I'll tell you, it's not just what goes on here that matters. It's far greater that we lose focus on, which leads me to the next point. The prize was matchless. Verse number 21 says, And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife. Praise God. This ain't Rachel anymore. This is my wife. Notice the Bible says that he loved Rachel. He served because of the love that he had toward Rachel. But in verse number 21, Jacob, he said unto Laban, Give me my wife. My days have been fulfilled. Give me my reward. He said, well, that sounds rather selfish. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm anxious for the reward day. I'm anxious for the day where we get to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the awards will be passed out. 
And we're able to take those crowns and lay them at His feet. And you say, well, uh, you know, I'm really dreading the judgment day. Then you need to change your lifestyle. You see, it is, a, it is a great and a fearful thing to think about standing before a thrice holy God. And it's something that should not be taken lightly. But you see, we're not going to go to the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for our sins. But to be judged based on our works. Whether they be good or whether they be bad. And what you do in this life and how you serve Laban in order to achieve the prize that is set before you will determine your ultimate reward. And uh, Paul seemed to have a pretty enthusiastic mindset about the judgment seat. I don't really see too often where Paul is biting his fingernails and, and worried to death about about having to stand before God. As a matter of fact, he says in Philippians 3 and verse 14, that I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said in his final words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8, that I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall be given to me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that also love his appearing. And what that tells me this evening is, is that God doesn't want us to be scared and worried to death about standing before him, but we should be anxious and we should be constantly serving on a daily basis with the reality of the fact that one day we'll be able to stand before God and say, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, and it's been a good walk. It's been a good, ser- it's been a good service. It's been a good day to be able to serve the living God, the righteous judge. He will judge right. Yes, sir, yes. And he knows what he's doing. He is, his eyes are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And when we, when we hear these passages of Scripture and we think of those things in a negative sense, then we're doing something wrong. Because Paul states that not to be only, but to all them yes. that love his appearing. That's right. Do you love his appearing? Or have you lost sight of what really matters in life. Well, Paul was very confident about the reward that he would receive because he was in tune with God. He was in tune with the service of the Lord. Paul wasn't just some mystical individual who wrote the epistles of the Bible. He was a man just like we are. And yet he had the confidence just as much confidence as Jacob had that I'm going to serve for seven years and no doubt day after day he would every now and then he'd see her pass by and he'd think, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And he never lost sight. He never lost focus of the end. He never lost focus of the reward that was awaiting him. And when we live life with a conscience mindset that someday we're going to stand before the Lord And this could be the moment that He appears. This could be the moment that He returns. We would change a lot of our lifestyle and the way that we live. We would change a lot of our habits and a lot of our daily attitude and our daily mindsets if we constantly had the the idea or the reminder that this could be the moment of the return of the Lord. I wonder what you've done today to make a difference for the Lord. What have you done today to serve The Lord, are you bitter about your Laban? 
Or are you still focused on the one that really matters? Because if you have your priority right in your service, then you'll never have a problem finishing. You'll never have a problem finishing your course if you keep your course where it belongs. The love that Jacob had for Rachel is what motivated him for service. Now, I'll end with this closing thought here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. Very familiar, but it's encouraging to me. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought the pass of the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord your labor is not in vain you say well I'm, I'm getting I'm growing weary I don't feel like I can go any farther I'm just thinking about throwing in the towel then you need to find out or you need to find your first love because that was the Laodicean church's problem they had everything figured out They had everything where it needed to be, but they left their first love. And because of that, they grew cold. They grew weary. You see, churches that die, churches that, that fade off and you don't hear anything from them, have left their first love. And they're serving because it's a part of the program. They're serving because it's what they do. They're serving because it's just a ritual. But thank God, there is a day coming. You say, well, we've been hearing this our whole life, but it's coming. And I have faith enough to believe because the the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith said it would be so. And he has never broken a promise. And so I encourage you tonight that if you're growing weary in the service of the Lord, find your first love. Find your first love. You remember what it was like when you got saved. You, t- you think about people whose life has been altered. Their course has been changed. Their life has been drastically transformed from what it used to be. And then they're able to have children. They're able to give them a new destiny. They're able to give them a new life, a new path, change the course of history. And they're so on fire. They're so excited. But a few little hard times, a few little things transpires. Some things happen and they grow weary in the service of the Lord. Sometimes what we need to do is just fall on an altar. And we need to beg God for another fresh glimpse of Calvary, another fresh glimpse of His love, His example, His extent, the eternality of His love, the everlasting love of God. And when we focus on what He's done for us and the example He set for us, we won't have a problem loving Him and serving Him. You see, because regardless of what your occupation is, no matter what you do in life, whatever your laban is, there is a greater cause waiting for those who will just simply stay faithful in the work of the Lord.